Everybody bring it in round one of the 2021 NFL draft is in the freaking books and right off the bat this has been one of the best drafts in recent memory and no it's not just because the Philadelphia Eagles didn't find a way to fuck it up somehow Uh, it's because it was a really really great draft and we still have as at the time of taping this we still have some time to go but this pod, it's going to be short, sweet, and we're just going to rip through the first round draft picks. Nothing else, because I'll tell you what, in the sports world, nothing else matters. Once we get past Sunday or Saturday, I guess, once we, once we get down, honestly, even once we're done like Friday night, then, you know, we can kind of shift our attention to like, all right, it's now, this is when we're going to be really locked in on basketball. Uh, look, this, this draft is, was, was excellent. And we'll spend as much time on the basketball stuff as, as we want because that's all we're going to really have coming up after this. We do have the uh, PGA Championship coming up here soon at Kiwa Island, which is a phenomenal course. Very excited for that. I believe that is next weekend. So we will definitely get some draft or some golf coverage uh, lined up for that. But look, this this pod, like I said, is just about round one. And before we get into the picks, I just I was sitting there and I was I was on Zoom with Scotty. And we were kind of talking through, and and again, before I, I, should say, I should say this, before we go even further, I want to thank everybody who came out and, and hopped onto our live stream yesterday. We did a NFL draft preview live stream show on Twitch. Uh, the Twitch handle is just Jeff Gimple. So you can find us on Twitch. We're going to be doing a lot more stuff like that. And we're figuring out what platform we like, but for right now, uh, we're really liking Twitch. And I think that's how we're going to continue to use it uh, might end up maybe doing something with YouTube. I'm not hundred percent sure, but the Twitch was a, was a rousing success. We had a great, an awesome number of people come up. I think it was a, just about 30 people actually came in and out uh, throughout the entire thing. And it, it was just a lot of fun. It was like, you know, a live podcast preview show. We had a great time. So thank you for everybody doing that. Um, but again, going down this rabbit hole before we go through all of these awesome picks from last night was just, the draft is such a special event in my eyes, and it always has been. Um, there's something about watching young guys who have dedicated their entire life to to getting to this point, you know. And when you are 22 and you're entering the NFL draft, like this, that is the apex of your life to that point. And yes, they're going to have their whole future ahead of them. But everything that they have done, they are at the apex in their life at that moment. And we see such a wide range of emotions and, you know, even like Mac Jones falling a little bit, like I felt sad, but also everyone kind of knew the Patriots were going to take him at 15, you know? And so Scotty and I were on, were on zoom last night after our live stream, talking about the draft, having a couple beers and just kind of watching pick by pick. And he was stoked for his Niners. I was really stoked for the Eagles pick. Uh, And, we just kept looking at each other and texting Vito as well and just saying, like, holy shit, man, this this draft is amazing. Like, everything about it, I thought the coverage was was fine. It wasn't anything special. You know, I thought Greeny did a good job hosting and kind of running the whole uh, the whole behind, the whole show there, running point. And 
you know, it's not an easy job and you have to be on it for a long time. And look, Greeny's a consummate professional, only the third guy in ESPN history to ever run point for the NFL draft. It was Kuiper, or uh, sorry, it was Berman. Then it was Trey Wingo. Now it's Greeny. Kuiper's been there for all of them. And fun side note, the NFL draft is actually one of the biggest things that made ESPN what it is today. When ESPN back at you know, decided they wanted to televise the draft it was in the very early stages of the nfl draft when they were basically in a conference room and it's turned into this extravagant incredible insane event that it is now where they're building a freaking concert venue in the middle of nowhere when it was in philly it was right down the ben franklin parkway when it's in chicago when it was in nashville it was right on broadway in nashville and for cleveland last night right in front of the water i know the weather wasn't great the venue itself was still still spectacular, and it was very on-brand for Cleveland as well. I'll, I'll throw that in. But for ESPN to become what it is today, you know, that doesn't happen without the NFL draft. And the foresight to say, like, oh, this is something that people might actually really, really want to watch. And now it's turned into one of the biggest spectacles we have in sports, especially with how big, you know, the NFL is nowadays. And it's Lord knows it's made Kuiper plenty of money. He can get all the pumpkin pie and weird pizza with mashed potatoes on the top that he that he can eat thanks to the the decisions back then. But again, I'm digressing because this whole draft, I just felt from start to finish. I don't know if it was the depth of talent. I don't know if it's there was five quarterbacks and three elite wide receivers. There was exciting offensive lineman prospects. Which how many? How often do you get exciting offensive line prospects? And it was a lot of offensive players. And I think casual fans are really invested in the offense. They don't care about inside linebackers. They don't care about safeties. They don't care about interior defensive linemen. You know, they care about the the guys who are scoring touchdowns, the guys who are scoring points. Because in, in America, in American sports, we're all about scoring points. We're all about offense, you know, despite the cliches of, you know, defense wins championships, right? So the whole draft I thought was spectacular and it started exactly the way that we thought it would. And that is Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson going number one, number two, the Trevor Lawrence pick was great. Uh, I loved, you know, I love that Trevor Lawrence decided to stay home and be around his family. I thought it was really cool how they set up the green rooms for people who did go where you got your own personal green room for social distancing, but they still set it up with couches and tables and, and made sure everybody felt comfortable. And it wasn't like a weird, just open space with all, you know, like they really did a good job of setting all of that up. I thought that was great. Uh, but I loved seeing Trevor Lawrence there. Number one overall pick. It was an obvious pick and we, we knew it was coming. I mean, again, I said it, I said it last week, Trevor Lawrence literally donated money to jets charities in Jacksonville already. All right. So, there's no doubt what was happening there. And and what I kind of loved about it, too, was that we haven't had a assumed number one overall pick like that. You know, I was the one that always sticks out to me is Mario Williams, which was the last time that I think a team announced that they were drafting somebody and like publicly the team announced it, not just reporters doing it. And so the reporters can kind of do some of the bidding for it. You're Adam Schefter's and everything. But you could have just watched a little bit of college football and a little bit of the NFL this year. And you knew Trevor Lawrence was going number one overall. Number two, the Jets take Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson looked pretty uncomfortable in some things. I don't know. There was a video that was circulating around this morning of him next to, I think it was Gregory Russo and Jalen Waddle. And Jalen Waddle throws up like the rock star hands, you know, the, the, they always said the I love you hands, but you know, the classic headbanger hands. 
and uh, Greg Russo just kind of gave him a, gave a little thumbs up. And Zach Wilson and the caption underneath was like, Zach Wilson sees gang signs and then all of a sudden gets scared or you know, looks for the closest exit. There weren't gang signs. It was just, you know, normal hand gestures. But to see how uncomfortable he looked around those guys, it was staggering. Like, and, and we were talking about this on the radio show this morning, myself and Dusty Dvorak and Danny Cannell. I think the New York media is going to rip this kid apart if he's not like if he's not good. If he's not what they expect from him, and for by all intents and purposes, you know, he's a grinder, but I thought some of the pictures he was posting, you know, the one of him doing lat pull downs, like it, it wasn't a flattering picture. You know, he wasn't putting up like a ton of weight. It was a weird workout to take a picture of. And it was a sponsored post for Verizon, which I thought was just really bizarre. And then there were two pictures, one of him standing in front of a mirror and the other one, him like looking at his phone. And you guys won't know this, but he looks exactly like my cousin, Patrick. My cousin, Patrick has been uh, shout out to Patty G man. He has looked like 15 years old, his entire life. And he's, well, I shouldn't say that he's always looked younger than he's actually been. And Pat is one of the coolest dudes in the world. He's an absolute G and his personality is far above his looks, but they look identical. So I look, I see Zach Wilson and I go, that's Patrick. That's Pat Gimple right there. That's my cousin. And if he's as cool as my cousin, Pat, then the Jets, you guys might have a winner. But given the fact that he grew up in a small town in Utah, played at BYU in a very sheltered community, I think the New York media, if he doesn't play well, is going to have a field day with this guy. I mean, Sam Darnold played at USC in L.A. And granted, L.A. is not the sports market because of everything going on there that the New York media is. And there's not the same level of sports obsession out there that there is for the East coast guys. But I am really concerned about, you know, if, if Sam Darnold got eaten alive, what is that going to mean for Zach Wilson? If things don't go well, now I have faith in Joe Douglas and Robert Salah. I do. So if those guys put together the team around him, and I love what they did later in the draft, and we'll get to that in a little bit, trading up and, uh, and getting an offensive lineman to help protect him. I think they can do really well. And look, they're going to have more draft picks here as, as the draft continues. And there's still a lot of great names left on the board. And we'll touch on that at the, at the very end here. Um, but Zach Wilson, he's the one that I'm, I'm most concerned about right now out of all these quarterbacks. And that's including a quarterback that got drafted to the Chicago bears. Now this, the pick that we all thought, you know, this is where the draft starts at San Francisco. And we've heard for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks about Mac Jones. It's going to be Mac Jones. Mac Jones going to the 49ers. It's a done deal. It's who it's Kyle Shanahan's guy. And I don't know if it was a smoke screen. Scotty is convinced it's a smoke screen. I don't think it was. I think they really liked Mac Jones, but I think they love the upside with Trey Lance and everything that was being said out of San Francisco was that Kyle Shanahan really likes Mac Jones and thinks Mac Jones is the guy, but the personnel department and the front office was really pushing for Trey Lance. If that's the case, the front office either pulled the trump card, which is a ball, it's a bold move, you know, because you're talking about a quarterback guru, quote unquote, in Kyle Shanahan. If that is true and they decided to override the head coach, I could see this going a couple of different ways. Now, what I think was more likely to happen was that 
they talked it out. They came to an agreement and they said, look, the upside's here. We still have Jimmy G under contract and we can make something happen here. We can make something happen for the long term. And he gives us the best chance to be really good. You got to remember too, John Lynch is still young. Kyle Shanahan's still young. We're talking about two guys who are under the age of 50 or, or I know Shanahan is, I think John Lynch is under 50, but he's right around that area. They're young guys. They have a chance to be running teams in this league for a long time. So take a chance on a guy that has really high upside. And again, give him the draft capital. I think it just made the most amount of sense to go get Trey Lance. And if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that I have been banging the freaking table for Trey Lance. I love Trey Lance. And I think he's so cerebral. The, the, a lot of the stuff said that the late surge up the board and the rumors that came out over the last couple of weeks, last week really about Trey Lance going there at number three came when they got a chance to work with him on the board, on the whiteboard, drawing up plays, you know, what's his recall like. And this is a guy who played in a, a variation of the triple option when he was in high school, right? So basically he only threw the ball like 34% of the time when he was in high school and he didn't throw the ball a whole lot in college either. In fact, it's the, he had the least amount of collegiate throw pass attempts. I think it was like 318 out of any first round quarterback ever drafted in the NFL. The other quarterback who was right next to him in that stat for now second is Michael Vick. So Trey Lance isn't the runner Michael Vick is, but he's a much more talented and polished passer, despite the fact that he's only 20 years old. And that's the thing. If he has the mental capacity and the recall and all the things that you really, really love out of a quarterback, and he's that young, and he went from running a triple option offense in high school to then going to North Dakota State and digesting after only sitting down for, for a year, learning a, a, under Easton Stick for a year, learning a, a relatively complex pro-style offense in college, and then didn't make a single mistake, didn't turn the ball over once, beat a really, really good James Madison team in the national championship game. Trey Lance, I think, was the absolute pick here. I've been saying that for a while. And I think the order of these quarterbacks went the way it should. Now, if I'm the Jets, I probably would have leaned a little bit more towards Trey Lance myself. I said that at the very beginning. I thought Trey Lance was probably the second best prospect out of all of these guys. But I get why the arm talent of Zach Wilson, everything else, uh, and, and the system that he ran at BYU and the, the similarities in his traits. You know, when in the draft, you're not drafting production as much as you are drafting traits. Now, there are certain production, like Trey Lance having zero interceptions throughout 30 touchdowns, zero interceptions in his first year as a starting quarterback as a, tr as a redshirt freshman. Like, that's something to take note of. But it's the traits. It's the stuff you see on the film. And, you know, I, there's a, there was a great point. We had uh, Emery Hunt on who works for CBS Sports. He's, he was a former college running back at Louisiana. He made this point, and I think it, it was astute last year. A lot of draft picks hit last year. And I think a lot of draft picks hit this year, too. And, and the reason is, is that there was no combine bullshit. You know, there was no, oh, well, we, we, we brought him into our facility and you know, he was a little weird with eye contact and, you know, there was none of these small little games that teams like to play. They just went, what's the tape say, live and die by the tape, check out the measurables. Well, we don't really trust the measurables because it's just pro days. So, and that's what they did, right? Every measure, every pro day stat came with a grain of salt, every single one from every single university, every pro day comes with a huge grain of salt. So you have to look at it from what's his recall like? 
What's he like when you get a chance to talk with him? What's the chance when you hear him work through the playbook? And what more importantly and the most important thing is what does the tape show us? And I hope that teams learn from this moving forward that once we do start having combines again and teams are out on the road seeing these guys in person and talking to 100 people around whatever program that they're talking to, that they don't read into that stuff too much. And they go, what am I seeing on the tape? Don't overthink this shit. And I think that's what we saw a lot with this draft. And that couldn't be any more evident than what we saw at number four, Kyle Pitts, University of Florida, going to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Not sure what's going to happen with Julio Jones. He's been rumored to be out on the trade market. But if they trade him, you still have an awesome set of catch uh, pass catchers at that in that Atlanta offense. You still have Matt Ryan around for at least another couple of years. He's 34, 35. I think he played at 34 years old last year. Uh, and he was 35. I think he'll be 35 this year. So he's, and again, how we've seen quarterback age, age, you know, he could, he could be around for another three or four years and still be really productive. And you're going to get a, the most explosive, the second highest graded prospect in this draft class behind Trevor Lawrence. And that is Kyle Pitts highest drafted tight end ever taken at number four overall, just a, a really, really remarkable player and talent. Um, and, and I think it was a great pick for the Falcons at number four. Number five, it seemed like it was starting to trend this way. Uh, and and the Cincinnati Bengals, they went out and they they got their quarterback a weapon. Not just any weapon, his former buddy from LSU and Jamar Chase, who he was my number one wide receiver prospect this whole time. And again, this is a case of don't overthink it. Don't overthink the sitting out. You know, the guy caught 20 touchdown passes at LSU the year he won the Belindikoff as a sophomore. All right, he won the Belindikoff as a sophomore. That should be enough to tell you who this guy is and how freaking talented he is and, and the impact he can have on your football team immediately. The Bengals go out and they get a guy to be with Joe Burrow, and that wide receiver room is loaded. All right, you have, uh, I almost just said CeeDee Lamb. You have Jamar Chase. He's going to most likely be your number one player. Autumn Tate is great. You have T Higgins, who was there. He was the 33rd pick first pick of the second round last year, who I thought was, I was shocked the way he fell in the draft last year. I thought he was the third or fourth man. He's probably the fourth or fifth best wide receiver uh, prospect going into the draft last year. And they, I think that's have Taj Boyd there still as well. You have Joe Mixon. There's a ton of weapons and they're taking a bit of a gamble. There's still a bunch of really good wide receiver or offensive line prospects left. So if they go Jamar Chase here at five and Tevin Jenkins is still on the board and they can get Tevin Jenkins there, then boom, you get a future left tackle potentially. And you got the clear cut number one wide receiver and field Yates put this perfectly on the first draft podcast last week, which was is Jamar Chase a better wide receiver than Penny Sewell is an offensive lineman and Dusty Dvorak, a good buddy of mine, former uh, defensive tackle in the NFL and played at Oklahoma he thought Penny Sewell was a better offensive lineman than Jamar Chase as a wide receiver it's also a little biased dude spent his entire career playing in the trenches I think Jamar Chase is a slightly better wide receiver prospect at wide receiver than Penny Sewell is as a offensive tackle I think Penny Sewell despite being phenomenal and we're splitting hairs with those two I think Penny Sewell does need a little bit of work uh, and, and he hasn't played football in a year and neither has Jamar Chase but it's much easier to jump into that role as a wide receiver after not playing for a year than it is for an offensive lineman. And Penny Sewell could come out and absolutely mash guys. And we'll get to him in a second going number seven to Detroit. 
but I love the pick for Jamar Chase at LSU, and it started the run of reuniting players. And the next pick was Jalen Waddle going number six to Alabama, which or going number six from Alabama to the Miami Dolphins, getting teamed up with his old teammate to a tongue of Iloa. Again, another loaded wide receiver room. I liked the idea for them. If Jamar Chase was off the board, Penny Sewell's sitting there, especially with them taking at 18, you can go get Jalen Waddle. And they were at 18. Christian Darisau was there. They could have taken him at 18. They could have gotten an elite tackle prospect and gotten their wide receiver. They want a slightly different route. But Jalen Waddle, the most explosive player in this draft, his average touchdown catch was 40 over 40 yards on his average touch. Like that is ridiculous. Uh, and the thing about him is he's not Deshaun Jackson or Henry Ruggs or some of these guys which are just running a straight line. You know, he can do everything. You can run him over the middle of the field. You can run him on mesh routes. You can run him on deep overs. You can run him on any even short things. He plays bigger than he is, but he's so fast in everything he does. He's not just a burner. He's a wide receiver who's also exceptionally fast. So Jalen Waddle, this could have either been the smartest pick, especially coming off the injury and knowing that his stock had dropped a little bit, though he was kind of surging up boards late towards the end, you know, getting closer to the draft. Or we're going to look at it and say, you could have had Devontae Smith and you took Jalen Waddle or Penny Sewell and you took Jalen Waddle and it may not work out. But again, that wide receiver room, those pass catchers, you're going to have Jalen Waddle, you're going to have Devontae Parker. You're going to have Will Fuller. You're going to get Preston Williams coming off of injury. And you have Mike uh, Gesicki at the tight end spot. Tua's got all the weapons in the world right now. Uh, and I hope that they kind of open up the playbook a little bit because they played really conservatively with him last year. You know, all the stuff that people liked about Tua and his ability to you know move safeties with his eyes and take shots, but take smart shots, layering the football, you know, not just throwing it deep, but those 25-yard routes, the stuff that you got to drop it between a linebacker and a safety, you know, that's the stuff I want to start to see a little more with uh, with Tua. And I think now that they have the weapons that they do, assuming Will Fuller stays off the juice and can stay healthy for this season, uh, I think they're going to be set up really, really well. I'm excited to see how all that kind of pans out there for the Miami Dolphins. Penny Sewell to Oregon. I said this on the live stream. He is exactly the kind of guy that Dan Campbell wanted. And when you're talking about a Lions team that's going to be rebuilding, they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. You know, they have Jared Goff there, so they're going to run the ball a lot. You have DeAndre Swift. You have Jamal Williams that you signed in free agency. They're going to run the ball a ton. And you don't want to put the ball too much into Jared Goff's hands. You, you want to protect him, keep him upright. He's not going to be able to scramble and get out of the pocket. He's not going to be able to do things with his legs. So protect him. And you could have a generational left tackle at seven overall. <laughs> for the next 10 to 15 years. And if that ends up being the case, I think it's a tremendous pick. Even if he's not, even if he's not the greatest left tackle, even if, even if he doesn't make, you know, all pro after all pro, even if he's just a perennial pro bowler, you know, I, you know, like Jason Peters is a hall of famer. I think he only made like three all pro teams, which is not, I say only there, you know, that, that is a, a, a ton given everything, but if you can just be a consummate, you know, consistent high end left tackle, and keep your quarterback upright, whoever your quarterback of the future is going to be, and they're most likely going to take him next year, I think drafting Penny Sewell here, whenever you do go get your 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 next quarterback, Penny Sewell will be ready to do everything in his power to protect him. And again, the dude is just a masher. He just He's the kind of guy that wants to drive you into the ground, help you back up, 
just so he can drive you into the ground again. And that is the exact, you know, the Dan Campbell, we're going to bite your kneecap. You know, you're going to knock us down. We're going to get back up. And on our way back up, we're going to bite off one of your kneecaps. You know, he said that in his introductory press conference. So if Penny Sewell is the pick, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, or not if Penny Sewell is the pick, I love it. And I think it's going to work out well. Number eight, this is the first kind of shock pick that we had in the draft. And got to give a shout out to Scotty. Scotty called this. He and I, uh, he said it on the live stream, but he also said it on uh, with me and him sitting there. He believed J.C. Horn was the pick for South uh, for the Carolina Panthers. I was shocked, if I'm being honest. I am a big fan of J.C. Horn. I think J.C. Horn is going to be a great uh, pro. I, he was actually my favorite cornerback coming in, a healthy Caleb Farley would have been my number one guy, but because of the injury concerns of him and, and potentially a banged up back, I definitely had some reservations about him being drafted anywhere close to this high. JC Horn is a great pick. Um, and they, they ended up marking uh, Sam Darnold. They, they signed him to that, that fifth year. They exercised the fifth year option as they say. So Sam Darnold is going to be in Carolina for a while. They're going to build around him. That defense is going to be nasty and they have, good weapons on the outside. The offensive line is still a bit of a question, but again, there are still really, really solid offensive linemen available that, you know, the Carolina Panthers can invest in. So we'll see how that ends up going. Uh, number nine, the Denver Broncos potentially rumored for Aaron Rodgers, which is something, again, I'll touch on at the very end. I don't think we see Aaron Rodgers get traded. He might, but if he does, Denver seems to be the place that he will likely end up. I thought this pick was was a really, really good one. Uh, Ronald Darby has proven to be an inconsistent at best corner. We've seen him be a top 10 cornerback in the league, and we've seen him be a bottom 50 cornerback in the league. So knowing that about him means that you are inherently taking uh, a risk by signing him, but you can use him in the slot, right? If you're getting a, a plug-and-play starter in Patrick Sertan, to come in and, and be your, your lockdown corner on the opposite side of Kyle Fuller. I mean, Kyle Fuller is already a pro bowler. So if you have two pro bowl corners on the outside in a Vic Fangio defense, I mean, you're setting yourself up for success. That defense is loaded. That secondary is loaded. Uh, the defensive line should continue to be good. We'll see how Von Miller looks coming back, but I really like this pick. I thought for Patrick Sertan, it was a great landing spot. You know, I think it's better than going to Dallas where, you know, you're going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting right off the bat and, and you're going to get targeted a lot. He's going to get targeted a lot, but he's going to have a lot of help, you know, all the way around him. And I, I love this pick for Denver at nine. Number 10, we had our first trade. The Philadelphia Eagles traded with the Dallas Cowboys. Fascinating to see a trade interdivision, not just interdivision between like two of the most bitter rivals in all of football, arguably all of sports, especially when you consider how much the fan bases hate each other. The Eagles trading up, leapfrogging the New York Giants, who had reportedly been very interested in Devonta Smith, to go get Devonta Smith. And I, I have said many bad things on this pod and off air about Harry Roseman. To make the trade that they did at number six, everyone thinking we're going to trade out of six and we're going to go get Devontae Smith. Or, or, or we're at six, we're going to get Jamar Chase, we're going to get Devontae Smith. We're going to get one of those guys. And then they trade out. And Eagles fans, myself included, go, what are you freaking doing? I don't care that you got a future first-round pick. I don't give a shit. You just pissed away a chance to get 
a phenomenal talent at the wide receiver position. And what did they do? They somehow got one of those guys. They somehow got one of those guys to resurrect the mistake that they had made last year drafting Jalen Rager, who still could be very good. I think the two of them together make an electric combination on the outside. You can move Jalen Rager inside. He can play a little more slot for you. We saw an emergence of Travis Fulgham. So right away, you're talking about Miles Sanders in the backfield. All right, you're going to have Dallas Goddard at your tight end spot, one of the best pass-catching tight ends in football. And now you're going to have a wide receiving core with Travis Fulgham, who, if he continues the pace he was on last year, could be a really, really good player. Devontae Smith, and hopefully a healthy and now rejuvenated Jalen Rager, who's been working with Jalen Hurts a lot, and two of them have become very, very close. The Eagles all of a sudden have a pretty scary you know, offensive unit Offensive line should be good. They're old, yes, but whether it's Mylotta or Andre Dillard playing left tackle, I think you could slide Andre Dillard down to play left guard. You still have, uh, and Sayamalo's there, and Sayamalo's been really good. You still have Jason Kelsey, who I think has at least another year or two left. You have Brandon Brooks coming back fully healthy. He's had, a, he'll have a year and I guess about five months to have fully recovered from his Achilles tendon, genetic freak. And now, and ideally a fully healthy Lane Johnson who still should have another four or five years of really, really high productivity as long as he stays healthy. That should be a really good offense. And at that point, you will know, we will all know whether or not Jalen Hurts has what it takes to be a really, really good NFL quarterback. And I'm honestly pretty excited about it. And you still have the chance to get three first round draft picks next year. I mean, that's crazy. That's so much that's so much draft capital. If the Colts make the playoffs or if Carson plays 75% of those games in Indianapolis, then the Eagles have three first-round draft picks next year. And if you want to make a play for the next disgruntled quarterback, maybe a Russell Wilson, you have the firepower to do it. And then all of a sudden you'll have a team that is set up to be able to do it. So as much as I was frustrated and have been frustrated by the Philadelphia Eagles – over the last, you know, four months. I got to give credit where credit's due. And I still don't like Howie. I still don't. And I'm probably not going to for a while. But you got to give credit where credit's due. It was a phenomenal move and a phenomenal pick. And I I jumped for joy. I screamed and cursed a whole lot. And I did the same thing last year, but it wasn't for joy. It was anger and frustration. And what in the hell are we doing? And Howie, for the first time, seems like he actually made the correct decision. Devontae Smith should be phenomenal. I don't care. He's 166 pounds. It goes back to the, you know, the Seahawks war room when they drafted Russell Wilson. I think it was Pete Carroll asked, does anybody here have a single negative thing to say about him, his tape, his character, the performance, any of it other than his height? And the answer was no. And so I look at Devontae Smith and I say the same thing. Can you name a single thing you don't love about this kid other than the fact that he's a little small? And 166 pounds is small. But the dude can run block. The dude's gone up against elite cornerbacks. And we were talking about, not only that, he goes up against Patrick Sertan in practice every single day. You know, like this is a guy who has grinded and played some of the best and most elite 
cornerback talent in college football for three years, four years. And I, I'm, I think it's phenomenal. Plus, dude, the guy won the Heisman. First wide receiver to win the Heisman in 30 years. If you're going to take a chance on somebody who might be a little small, take it on that guy. All-time leading receiving – he's got the most receiving touchdowns in Power 5 FBS history. What, what else do you need to say? What else do you need to say? All right, number 11. Fascinating trade again. The New York Giants trade all the way down to 20 and swap with the Chicago Bears. And look, the Giants get some ammo. They get a future first. They got, uh, I think, like a fourth-round pick. It wasn't an overly uh, you know, crazy haul to move up from 20 to 11. And they take Justin Fields. And honestly, I kind of love this pick. Um, I think that's, I think that's exactly the kind of spot where I would expect Justin Fields to go. I think, yes, there are some concerns, but if Justin Fields ends up being the guy, then like, that's a steal to trade what you need to trade to move up nine picks to go get your potential first round quarterback. You take the entire new England Patriots thing out of it. You go get your guy. And I'm, I don't know. I just, I, I don't have a whole lot else I can say other than, you know, I think Matt Nagy, um, you know, and, and Ryan Pace, I don't think they're long for those jobs, even if they, and unless they come out and win 10 plus games this year and Justin Fields looks awesome. I don't think they're going to be long for their jobs, but this was a team that was eight and eight and made the playoffs last year with Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky being their quarterbacks. Justin Fields is an upgrade over both of those guys. So most of that roster is still intact. I'm guessing they probably wish they hadn't traded Kyle Fuller, but that defense is still going to be nasty. And, you know, they, they were able to bring back Allen Robinson. So I, I don't know what else I can say, man. They, they got a lot of talent. They got a lot of talent and they should be really, really good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Man, not really, really good, but they should be good. They should be a good team. They should, they should win somewhere in the neighborhood of nine games at least. And if you're going to take a chance on somebody, given the price tag and everything else it costs you to move up that high to get them, I thought Justin Fields was an excellent, excellent pick by the Chicago Bears and a great move. And it's another thing that made this trade or this this entire draft really, really fun. You know, just the the whole like, oh, shit, Chicago's trading up from 20 to 11. Like, they, they have to be going Fields. And then there was the party who goes, yeah, but it's the Bears. So are they going to draft Mac Jones? No, you draft the guy with the high upside. You draft the guy who has the potential to be a legitimate starting caliber Pro Bowl caliber quarterback in the NFL, and that's Justin Fields. So we'll see how it works out. Stays in Big Ten country. Um, I, th I thought it was phenomenal. Number 12, the Dallas Cowboys, after trading down with the Philadelphia Eagles, Micah Parsons. Uh, great pick. Great pick. They wanted a cornerback. The two cornerbacks they wanted both got taken. The two spots ahead of them, which probably sucks if you're a Cowboys fan. Uh, I thought it was a little interesting because, you know, they have Jalen Smith, they have Landon, uh, Leighton Vander Esch, who are both, when they're healthy and and playing well, they're both really, really good players. So this, to me, is a this is a boom or bust trade because I think Micah Parsons is going to be really, really good. I just don't know if it's going to be in Dallas. You know, Dan Campbell, or not Dan Campbell, um, Dan Quinn, new defensive coordinator down there in Dallas, he's had a history of working really, really well with linebackers. You know, we saw what he did with Bobby Wagner. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Micah Parsons ends up becoming one of the best linebackers in football. It's just going to be a crowded linebacker room. And in today's NFL, 
you can't really play three linebackers at the same time anymore. You know, the, the quote unquote base set isn't a four, three or a three, four, like it used to be. It's much more hybrid than that. It's much more, the waters are far muddier now than they've ever been when it comes to like, what is, what is a defensive set actually look like? So I'm not sure what to expect fully other than just, I think it was a really, really great pick. Um, it's a great talent pick. There are some concerns about his character and off the field stuff with him kind of makes him perfect to go to Dallas. Who's never shied away from bringing in guys like that. But you, it was, in my opinion, I thought it was the best talent on the board and I, I'm not sure where else they would have gone there. Uh, you know, unless they really fell in love with one of the pass rushers and the edge rushers, but at 12, I'm not just, I'm just not sure if you can take that risk at number 12 because none of these pass rushers are that great. So who's the best defensive player on your board at 12? It's Micah Parsons. That's the guy I get to pick in. Let's roll. So they'll figure something out. I mean, the guy's a freak athlete, so they'll, they'll definitely be able to figure something out with Micah Parsons. Uh, excited to see what he does down there with the Cowboys. 13, arguably my favorite draft pick uh, in the entire first round, which was the guy I wanted to see go to the L.A. Chargers more than anyone else, which was Rashawn Slater, 13th overall. He slipped in the draft. Teams traded up to get a quarterback. Teams reached on a couple of corners. Micah Parsons goes at 12. Boom. Somehow it happened. Somehow the L.A. Chargers got the exact player that they wanted. I'm sure they would have loved Penny Sewell, but I think that would have been unrealistic without trading. And they didn't have to give up any assets. They hung at 13. They brought in a stud. A lot of people think the grade between Rashawn Slater and Penny Sewell is not that far. I tend to agree with him. I just think Penny Sewell has a slightly higher upside. But Rashawn Slater's best career game as an offensive lineman in college was against Chase Young. I mean, he shut down Chase Young. So to be able to do that speaks really, really highly about what this kid's talent's like. And I just loved that the Chargers played it cool, you know, just walking down the street with the hands in the pocket, sunglasses on, whistling like nothing was the matter. And next thing you know, boom, Rashawn Slater falls in your lap. I thought it was an awesome home run pick by the Chargers. Major fan of that. At 14, the New York Jets traded up with, uh, traded with the Minnesota Vikings, traded up to 14, and they got Elijah Vera Tucker who was a guy who had been screaming up draft boards and is a weird kind of tweener. In college, he can he can play tackle. He's not going to be able to play tackle in the NFL. I mean, he might be able to play right tackle, definitely not left tackle, but they already have their their left tackle in Mekhi Becton. So my guess is you're going to put Elijah Vera Tucker at left guard right next to Mekhi Becton, and boom, Zach Wilson's blind side is not protected for the next 10 years if Zach Wilson pans out the way that they're hoping him to pan out. And protecting him up front at his size is going to be huge. Giving him the time to read and use that rocket arm the way that he can. And look, Elijah Vera Tucker, I, I was a little down on USC and some of the physical traits. And I went back and watched some of his film after talking about this last week. And I think I was, I think I was unfairly critical of him, at just how physical he is and the heart and soul and his ability to flex between left tackle and left guard, his overall just, you know, shape shifting as an offensive lineman is, is pretty, it's, it's up there. It's as good as anybody in this class. So to get him to line up next to Makai Becton um, and, and didn't have to give up all that much capital to do it, I thought was a great pick. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they end up doing. Uh, and then 15 and 16 here, 
the Mac Jones to New England Patriots. We all, I mean, like we all, we all saw it. We all thought it in the very first mock drafts. This is what we saw. And then people, all this stuff with San Francisco and, and the 49ers trading up and they love Mac Jones. It's going to be Mac Jones. Of course, New England didn't have to trade. Of course, Mac Jones falls in the draft and the way Mac Jones hopped up out of his chair and sprinted out that green room and down the, to go see Goodell down the walkway, high fiving people on the way there. He was stoked. That is exactly where he wanted to go. I think that's exactly who new England wanted to have there. And I think it's going to be a really, really good fit. He, a lot of his traits, his pocket mobility, right? His pocket awareness. Those are the traits that people equate when they talk about him and Tom Brady. It's so hard to compare anybody to the greatest quarterback of all time and expect it not to be a completely unrealistic comp. But there are traits that he has that are Brady-esque. Um, and, and again, I don't know if he's going to win. I, I don't know what it's going to look like. There's still question marks. He played with an incredible wide receiving core. He had an amazing offensive line in front of him. He had an amazing defense. He got to play for Nick Saban. Well, he went from the greatest college coach of all time, arguably, to now the greatest NFL head coach of all time. And the two of them are friends. They're going to figure out a system. It's going to be different. You know, there's no pure wide receivers, which is what Mac, you know, Mac Jones really thrived in in New England. But I'm sure they'll be able to tailor that system using Hunter Henry and Johnu Smith and these new, they're going to use a lot 12 personnel. They're going to run the ball a lot. They're beefed up their offensive line significantly from last year. To get him at 15 and to see New England not trade down, uh, it felt weird. But it was a great pick for the Patriots. I I, I really, really did. Um, and, and look, Mac Jones could be terrible. He could be. He very well could be. I think he'll be pretty good. I think he'll be pretty good. I don't think he's going to be the next Tom Brady. I don't know if he's ever going to play in a Super Bowl. But if Belichick and McDaniels did what they did with Matt Castle, and they did what they did with Tom, obviously, and they did what they did with Jimmy G and Jacoby Brissett and all these backups, I think Mac Jones has the tools and most importantly, the mental acuity to be able to be as successful as he possibly can be at that position and, and, and in that city, in that team, that organization. I'm excited to see it. And the last bit before we take a quick break here, my God, dude, I've been singing this guy's praises for so long in the live stream. I said maybe he would go to Arizona at 16, but we'd have to wait and see. Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa. I love this kid. He is my stand-up on the table. He is my red star guy. He is my favorite, favorite prospect in this class. I love his film. He looked like a, a fully grown man playing amongst children when he played at Tulsa. That is how physically freakish he is. He played quarterback in high school. He played running back in high school. He played running back for a little bit, even for Tulsa when they needed him. And he's an incredible outside linebacker. And the thing that I love about this draft pick is that they're going to pair him with Isaiah Simmons. And as I, they tried to make Isaiah Simmons like a pure defensive end edge rusher, which is a mistake. And I hope they don't do the same thing with Zayvon Collins. I hope they realize that they have two very special athletes, two guys who can drop into coverage, two very cerebral outside linebacker players. And then when you're lining up and you're going to have Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt on the outside, those two guys should be your linebackers in the middle because they can both cover tight ends. They can both cover running backs out of the backfield. And that is rare for linebackers to be able to do. And if they can do that with Buda Baker on the back end, 
tight ends are going to have a really hard time catching the ball against the Arizona Cardinals, but they have to make those adjustments. If they try to use Avon Collins like an edge rusher, like they did with Isaiah Simmons, they will have not only wasted Isaiah Simmons, who was my favorite player in last year's draft, they will have now wasted my favorite player in this year's draft in Zayvon Collins. All right, take a quick break. When we come back 17 through 32, and we'll wrap up our first round uh, review as we get ready here for round number two and three here on a Friday. 17th overall, the Las Vegas Raiders. And I got to say this, the Raiders are such a freaking weird team with the draft. Talk about, and there's some GMs who are like this, Gettleman's like this too, where it's like they don't give a flying shit about what any mock draft says or what you should take here. They're going to take their guy when they're up and they don't give a hell. They don't care about value, right? This is like part of the old school people, like old school guys in football where you're like, can you just pay attention to analytics like a little bit? Can you try to understand what like value means, right? Because if Alex Leatherwood was your guy, then trade out of the first round. Trade, trade to 32 and take him at 32. Trade to 31. Trade back and get somebody to come up and take a player that they want at 17. Pick up, pick up a couple of draft picks. Go, go do something. Give yourself a chance. Alex Leatherwood could be a great player. Physical freak, masher. But he's not the level of prospect that we're talking. The fact that he went seven spots ahead of Christian Darisau is crazy to me. And again, he's got big mitts. He's got relatively long arms. He looks like he slimmed down a bit, which is good because the guy was weighing like 360, if not more, when he was at Alabama in the national championship game. He looked good. So maybe, hey, look, I could be totally wrong. But especially like the Raiders just cleared out all of their offensive linemen in, in the offseason to retool and revamp. And then – you could like you could have just kept them. You could have just figured out, made adjustments on your scheme, and then draft a player of, of, of higher value here at 17 than Alex Leatherwood. Chances are Alex Leatherwood would have been around in the mid-second round. So if you wanted to trade up and get him at that point, then then do it. But this was the first draft pick where I'm like, look, Leatherwood could be fine, he could be good, but this was a reach. It was a huge reach. But they don't care. It's the same group that took Cleland Farrell, number three overall, or number four overall. You know, they took Jonathan Abrams at 22. You know, they, they reach for players. They took Henry Ruggs as the first wide receiver off the board last year. If they find their guy, fuck anything else. Did he play at Clemson? Did he play at Alabama? Did they win national championship? Like, this is the third year in a row that their first pick in the draft was a team that was playing in the national championship game, or at least was in the college football playoff. I, I, I guess – Henry Ruggs wasn't, but Clemson with Cleveland Farrell, they had just won the national championship. Uh, next year, they take Henry Ruggs out of Alabama. Henry Ruggs could be good. He could be fine. I, I, he was meh, you know, but you took a deep threat for a quarterback who doesn't like to throw the ball deep. So I'm not sure why you would think that was a smart move to begin with. And it t- panned out that, yeah, Henry Ruggs wasn't super productive. He also got hurt a lot. So he could be great this year. But we haven't seen it yet. And and Cleveland Farrell, for all accounts, based off of where he was drafted, is a bust. If you took Cleveland Farrell in the mid set, you know, in the, the late back end of the first round or early second round where he was slotted to go, he'd be a pretty good player. He'd be a good value player. 
But wasting a pick that's this high on someone who you can get later in the draft or even just trade down 10 spots and pick up a freaking – and we, we saw that the, the Saints wanted to trade up in the draft. They were very clear about that. And they just didn't care. They said, no, we found our guy. We're going after him. So take that for what it is. I thought it was a weird pick. He could be great. But so far, when we've seen the Raiders do this under Mike Mayock, and John Gruden, it hasn't worked out. It hasn't worked out. I, I believe in the philosophy that if you found your guy, then it doesn't matter where you take him. It doesn't matter who it is. If Daniel Jones is your quarterback and you're at six, and you or you need to trade up for your quarterback, and that's your guy, and you're staking your flag into him, then do it. Go out and do it. That's like I'm I'm behind that. But you don't need to do that at defensive end. You don't need to do that at offensive tackle, especially this year. And you don't need to do that at wide receiver in the either of the last two years. So it's just, it's such an old school mindset of our guy, he's a winner. You know, I can't do a Gruden, so I'm not even going to try. But it's, you know, our guy, he's a winner. He played at Alabama. He played at Clemson. He's going to be great for us. Well, so far, that hasn't worked out. The three guys you already drafted before this, haven't worked out in that way. But you know who did? Max Crosby, who you took in the third round. That was a value pick. And he's turned out to be your best defensive lineman. He's been better than Cleveland Farrell. And you got him in the third round. Think smarter, not arrogantly. And that front office is just driving me crazy. Just me crazy. All right, 18, Miami Dolphins. I thought they were going to go Christian Darris out here. I thought they were going to say, all right, we got our offense. We got our wide receiver. Our offensive line is okay, but our wide receiver room is great. We have all the weapons we need. We have all the pass catchers we need. Our defense was really good last year. Let's make sure our offensive line is set. Christian Darris, I was there for the taking at 18. They also could have traded back even to like 21 or 20. Like they could have done moves. They took Jalen Phillips, who I think has the potential to be the best defensive edge rusher in this draft class now you could say that about like four or five different guys he was the most elite prospect he was number one overall high school recruit prospect uh, high school recruit three three years ago uh, went to ucla had two awesome seasons at ucla got hurt and had to medically retire because of concussions now i've had five concussions myself i stopped playing football after my fifth concussion as a as a sophomore in high school because concussions are not something to fuck around with. Jalen Phillips could be great. And it could also be one freak hit that could happen on any play, and the guy might have to retire. So it's a huge risk. It has big upside. He went to the University of Miami, and now he's staying in Miami to play with the Dolphins. I didn't love the pick. To be honest, I thought it was a, I thought it was a reach. But if again, if that's the guy you see, and that's about the range where you could see him go – then I get it. I would have gone with Quiddy Pay there, but Jalen Phillips has much more upside. Uh, 19, the Washington football team select Jamin Davis. Now, not only, this was a surprise for a lot of people, but it wasn't much of a surprise for me. I thought it was a little bit of a reach, but the Washington football team's defense, I mean, it, it's loaded. They didn't need a defensive line. They didn't need a really – they could have gone wide receiver. But if you don't love Kadarius Toney, if you don't love Terrace Marshall, if you don't love Rashad Bateman, then I get not making the pick there. But 
they decided to go Jamin Davis, who's a little undersized, but just a flat-out ball player, man. I mean, he flies around the field. And he played for Mark Stoops at Kentucky. I love Kentucky. They're like one of my adopted college football teams that I always root for. I just think they're plucky. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of them on the basketball court, but on the football field, I just freaking love them. I love the culture there. I love the grinding and the grittiness that they have. And day in and day out, they're just constantly, constantly grinding. And they're not the prettiest, and they're not the fastest, and they're not the best but they work harder than anybody else. And I think Jamin Davis could be a really, really good player. I mean, he could come in and have like 90 tackles this year, especially behind that defensive line, because it's going to be open season for him to fly around and make plays. And at his speed and strength, despite being a little undersized, I think it's a great pick. Uh, number 20, this is where the New York Giants traded down to from 11. They take Kadarius Tony here, which – was a real head-scratcher. Now, Kadarius Tony could be great. Really, really could. But I'm confused as to why the Giants, and I, I still have not gotten an answer for this. I haven't heard anybody talk about this. I don't understand the obsession with Giants and Giants fans wanting a wide receiver. You just signed Kenny Galladay, who, who should be great. You have Sterling Shepard on the roster, who's been really, really solid for you. He's got a great connection with Daniel Jones. And Darius Slayton, out of the, out of the slot, has been awesome. He's been like Daniel Jones's guy. He's ripped the Eagles apart. So I don't quite understand why they felt they needed to add a fourth wide receiver to this room. Now, Kadarius Tony, you can use in the backfield, maybe go a little split back with him and Saquon back there. I mean, we all know that Daniel Jones is a sneaky, like fast runner. So maybe that's kind of where their brain was at. I'm, I, I really don't know. I just thought if, if you're here, like go do something for your defense. Go get a really good edge rusher. Get Draft Quiddy Pay. I thought Quiddy Pay was going to be the pick here when they traded back. But they went Kadarius Tony, which just makes what the Eagles did, fleecing them, basically cucking them out of that freaking playoff spot, then trading ahead of them to get their guy, forcing them to trade back, and then have them waste, not waste the pick, but potentially make an unnecessary reach for their guy at 20. It just makes all of that that much more beautiful. And Kadarius Tony, again, could be could be really good. But Dave Gettleman is the type of GM who, when it's his guy that he wants, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about. He doesn't care what anybody says. Um, I just thought it was a really weird pick. I, I, I didn't love it, but Kadarius Tony should be a really, really good NFL player. But there's only so many mouths to feed, and if you still want Evan Ingram to be your tight end, he was a he was a Pro Bowler last year, despite the fact he probably shouldn't have been. You have a lot of wide receivers. I don't know. I mean, if I'm Kenny Galladay, I'm kind of pissed. I'm like, all right, well, that means I'm getting the ball even less. I mean, probably not too pissed because he's just signed $60 million contract, even though when all said and is said and done, it's probably more like 25, you know, fully guaranteed. Uh, I just thought it was a weird pick there for the Giants at 20. But again, it could, could be really good. The guy has a lot of talent, as, as a lot of these guys do. It's just a matter of, is, the, is it the right fit? Is the right circumstances? And, and is Daniel Jones the guy? I mean, I guess they want to make the argument that like, hey, there's no excuses. If we don't see it from Daniel Jones this year, we got to pay him after this year and figure out if we're going to exercise that that you know fifth year option. Then you know, I I get I get why they're making that argument. I just I don't know. I Kadaris or Christian Darisol still on the board. You could have shared up that offensive line. I I just thought it was a weird pick. Uh, Twenty one, Indianapolis Colts take Quiddy Pay. Now Quiddy Pay is an incredible story. His mom fleed. Uh, I, I'm going to mess up the details. So I don't want to, but she basically 
fleed a country uh, in which she and her family were being uh, disgustingly oppressed and came here, worked three to four jobs his entire life. And when they were interviewing him after the pick, he said, <laughs> which I thought was great. He said, you know, how does it feel you know, for your mom knowing she did all this? And she goes, my mom, he goes, my mom is retired. She's retired. That's it. It's over. And the whole, the whole room blew up. And, and I, I thought it was really, really great. Quiddy Pay could be, in my opinion, the best DN here. And I know I said that about Jalen Phillips. You can say that about Jalen Phillips. You can say it about Kadarius Tony. You could say it about uh, Gregor Russo. You can say it about a lot of guys who are in this year's draft class. I think Quiddy Pay uh, was the most well-rounded, the safest pick to be a really solid DN here uh, at 21 overall. And I think he's going to do really well. I'm excited to see what he does in Michigan. Uh, 22. Interesting pick here, but I actually kind of love it. Caleb Farley. Dropped in the drafts. The medical stuff was really starting to come back negatively. I felt terrible for him. He was by himself, like in isolation, because he had just tested positive for COVID. So he gets drafted, and it's just him on a screen alone in his room. You know, it, it just broke my heart to see it. Um, but again, this is one where if the back stays healthy, which is a terrifying thing to say about a 22-year-old, if the back stays healthy, Caleb Farley should be the best cornerback in this year's draft class. I think he was the most talented. He was the best pure corner, uh, cover corner, and he was one of the fastest guys. I, I I like this pick. I'm not sure where else you go. I mean, I liked Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa here. I thought just having a, a heartbeat in the middle of your defense could have been really solid. He's still on the board. Again, previewing how that's going to look, but uh, Caleb Farley at 22 is great. And then we got back-to-back -back Hokies going 22 and 23. Christian Darisol. Finally falling off, uh, coming off the board at 23 to the Minnesota Vikings. I loved this pick. I think there was a lot of talk that this is who they were looking at at 14, and they traded back 10 picks to be able to pick him up at 23. Uh, that is a home run. That is some top-end, beautiful management of the NFL draft by that front office. I think Darius Howe is going to be a 10-year vet in the NFL easily as an offensive tackle. I'm really excited to see what he does with the Minnesota Vikings. 24, the Pittsburgh Steelers take Najee Harris. Now, Najee is a stud. We've talked about this a lot. We, you know, a lot of people really, really, really like him. Um, and, and I like him a lot too. I'm still not in love with the idea of drafting a running back in the first round, but at 24, given what he could come in and do for you, I think there's just a lot of holes on that Pittsburgh roster, but you can't have Big Ben throwing the ball 69 times like he did in the playoffs. You just can't. You can't do that at his age. You need to give him some support somewhere else. Najee Harris is going to give you the opportunity. But Najee Harris is just, uh, for as incredible of a player as he's a better person. You know, I read a story that he, when he first came into Alabama as a freshman, he asked the local, you know, he asked his, you know, the, the, the staff at Alabama, how can I, you know, what's the homeless situation like here and how can I help? What, what is the poverty rate? What is the homeless, you know, situation like here in Birmingham and how can I help or Tuscaloosa and how can I help? And again, it just speaks volumes of that. He's already talked, he talks about how he wants to do it. He struggled his entire life going home to home in, in subsidized housing and sometimes not even having a, a, a home. Um, so for him to be, the kind of guy he is, I think he's going to fit in really, 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 really well in Pittsburgh. I think the Steelers fans are going to love him. Back-to-back -back running backs here, 24-25, Travis Etienne getting teamed up, continuing the trend. So to review here, we have 
Jamar Chase getting reunited with Joe Burrow. Jalen Waddle getting reunited reunited with Tua Tungavailoa. Jalen Hurts being reunited with Devontae Smith in Philadelphia. And now Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence both going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I am super excited for this. Uh, I thought it was a reach. I think Travis Etienne probably would have gone at some point before the, the Jaguars got a chance to draft again. But you know what? It's a good pick. It's a good pick. You're, you're getting a weapon and you're getting someone that's going to make your, your star quarterback happy right away. And I'll, I'll put it this way, you know, our urban Meyer likes fast speedster playmaking kind of guys. And that's exactly who Travis Etienne is. I think that's going to be really, really fun to watch the two of them continue their career. And for Jacksonville, you're going to get a whole new subs subset of fans for all of the big college football fans who don't like the NFL in, in the Carolinas. You just picked up a hundred thousand new fans like that because you drafted both of those guys and they're going to continue to root for them after winning them a national championship. Uh, and the way that people love both ETN and Trevor Lawrence, I think it's, I, I thought it was a very, very fun pick. I thought it was an awesome thing to end up getting a chance to see. Uh, Greg Newsome, the second going to the Cleveland Browns here. Not a whole lot of needs on the Cleveland Browns roster. Cornerback was one that they could definitely invest in. It would be a good call. Uh, I thought it was a great pick. The Cleveland fans, it was obviously draft being in Cleveland. They loved it. Greg Newsom is just going to be a solid pro in my estimation. Now I've said that about a lot of guys, you know, and there's definitely going to be a good portion of these guys who aren't as, as great, but I think Greg Newsom is, is a really, really solid player. Uh, and for Northwestern, to have two guys drafted in the first round ever speaks a lot about what Pat Fitzgerald has done in Northwestern with the Wildcats. And uh, I'm excited. I think, I think that's a great pick. And it just kind of immediately, it immediately makes one of the small weaknesses on the Cleveland roster just that much better. And I think it helps complete them as a team. 27, the Baltimore Ravens, one of their two picks here. They draft 27 and 31 in the first round. We we're talking about this on the uh, on the live stream. I thought that you go wide receiver and then you draft a tackle. You know, you you take the best wide receiver off the board while you while you can because New Orleans could have taken a wide receiver and Green Bay could have taken a wide receiver and neither one of them would have shocked me. So for them to go out and get Rashad Bateman, who might be the sneaky, like best wide receiver in this year's draft class, he has that kind of upside. He's he's had that kind of productivity in his career. He has all of the traits, all of the measurables, everything you want from him. He's a really, you know, very unique route runner, right? He's a little wonky. Like he gets people off balance really, really well, creates a lot of separation. I think he's going to be great to kind of pair off with Marquise Brown. Obviously, Mark Andrews is your tight end catching the ball out of the backfield there. I love Rashad Bateman at 27 to the Baltimore Ravens. The next couple of picks here as we wrap up the first round, there was a lot of head scratching for me going on. Peyton Turner getting drafted. D-end out of Houston, drafted by the New Orleans Saints. I have no idea where that pick came from. I don't know why they thought that was the right move. I don't know why... They, they just must have loved the kid. And I watched some of his tape after the draft pick. And frankly, I was, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. You know, he, he played in the American, um, which is a very good conference, the power six conference. Right. But I, I just thought it was a, I thought it was a major stretch to go out and get Peyton Turner there uh, at 28 in the first round, someone who probably you could have traded up and gotten in the second round pretty easily. 
Um, not the best value, but Hey, you know what? If, again, if that's, if that's the guy that you like, you know, who am I to question Sean Payton, you know, Sean Payton's one of the best football minds that we have here in the NFL. And, you know, he could end up, well, I, it just didn't make sense for me there at 27 or 28, I should say 29, the green Bay Packers select Eric Stokes cornerback out of Georgia speedster guy ran a four, two, five 40. So plenty of speed, but again, I don't even think he's the best cornerback that was available. Like I would have rather had Asante Samuel Jr. than Eric Stokes, but also your quarterback just told you that he wants to leave your team three hours before this draft started. And your response is drafting a cornerback. They've never drafted the first round draft pick since Aaron Rodgers has been in green Bay. I think it's 10 defensive linemen, two offensive linemen, and now a cornerback. Uh, I'd probably have the numbers wrong there, but they've never invested in an offensive weapon in the first round for Aaron Rodgers ever. He's, he's made careers for guys like Jordy Nelson, you know, and James Jones and turned them into really, really good wide receivers. And not that they wouldn't have been decent wide receivers other places, but they were only that good because of Aaron Rodgers. They don't, you know, Jordy Nelson only became a pro bowler because of Aaron Rodgers. So why wouldn't you invest in Elijah Moore? You know, go get Elijah Moore. Why are you getting Eric Stokes? I didn't see it at all. He's a little apprehensive when it comes to tackling. I don't, I just, I didn't like this pick at all. I thought it was weird. I thought at the very least, throw your quarterback a bone, show him you freaking care a little bit. It's like when you're dating a girl, go get her flowers on a random day to pick two days a year, put it in your, in your Google calendar. So you get an alert. Hey, get your girlfriend flowers today. Don't wait until Valentine's Day because it's going to mean 10 times more if you do any any other day of the year. This was like it being Valentine's Day. And instead of coming home with flowers and chocolates, you come home with like two steaks and your girlfriend's like a vegetarian. All right. There's the, there was no logic played in this in this draft pick. And it, it, at least in terms of how it relates to Aaron Rodgers. And look, Eric Stokes might be great. And you'll have him paired up on the opposite side of Jair Alexander. And you could have a really good secondary. I just thought it was a massive, massive oversight, especially given the fact that Aaron Rodgers told you that literally yesterday that he wants out of Green Bay, which I thought was a flex. I thought it was a power move to say, hey, I want out, but really go get me a freaking wide receiver, please. And instead they drafted Eric Stokes and reached on a cornerback who they fell in love with his speed. And I've said it before here, on the field speed versus 40 times, don't fall in love with 40 times. It doesn't make sense. It, it really doesn't. I thought it was a terrible pick. I thought it was a terrible pick. And I look, I hope Eric Stokes has a great career. I just thought it made no sense. Um, Buffalo Bills at 30. Gregory Russo, guy I really, really like. 15 and a half sacks two years ago. Opted out this past year. He's a little stiff, but I said this on the live stream. He's got a little Calais Campbell in him. You know, he's 6'7", really big guy, freak athlete. If he continues his frame, and Miami liked to use him in the middle of their defense sometimes, sliding him down to almost like a two technique. Um, and I think if you if you want to use him on the inside, slide him out. You already have Ed Oliver there. You know, I thought it was a really good pick, especially with both of the running backs being off the board. I thought if Najee Harris or Travis Etienne was there, that's who you'd go after if you're Buffalo. Greg Rousseau, his, he's lived in Buffalo for six years. His younger brother was born in Buffalo. He's got ties to the area. I thought it was a very just very solid pick for a team that doesn't have a whole lot of holes, but you just want to add a little bit of depth. I thought it was a great spot to go. Uh, at 31, the second of the Baltimore picks, Jason Owe. 
out of Penn State, the kid with zero sacks, but also ran like a 4-3-8-40 at his pro day. Um, I don't buy into the 40 times like I just said with uh, with Eric Stokes, but if you're a D lineman and you're running anywhere close to a 4-4, that's saying something about your explosion. That's saying something about your athleticism. A lot of his off-the-ball stuff is great. You know, his get-off at the line of scrimmage is really impressive. But we just, you know, the guy, had, he had zero sacks last year. Zero as a D-end, and he just got drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Um, I would have liked to see them take, uh, you know, Tevin Jenkins, you know, or maybe even Jalen Mayfield. Go get an offensive lineman to protect Lamar. But Jason Owe has a, a unlimited upside because of the freak-level athlete that he is. You know, he's so twitchy and explosive. Um I just thought it was a really – I thought it was an interesting pick. I don't think it's a bad pick. It's high upside, and if you look at your roster and you're happy with how it's laid out, then all right, go get someone who can turn into a premier – could potentially turn into a premier uh, edge rusher. But he's got a little bit of that Yannick Ngakwe in him, you know, just a little undersized but really explosive and twitchy. Uh, and, and Ngakwe, they, they went out and got Ngakwe midseason last year, and he was pretty good for Baltimore. He wasn't great, but, you know, I, th- I think – Getting someone that you're going to have on a contract for four years, you can develop him uh, and, and turn that freak athlete into a premier edge rusher. I, I get why they made the pick. Uh, I just I didn't think it was filling the holes that maybe they needed, you know. Uh, and the last pick of the first round was Joe Tyron um, or Tryon, sorry, who's DN from Washington. Uh, again, like pretty solid player. I, I thought it was a bit of a reach, but you know, what do you, what do you get the team that has everything? What do you get the guy or the girl that has everything? You know, that's kind of where the, the bucks are at. They returned every single starter, every single player from their Super Bowl team. It seems like everyone that mattered on their Super Bowl team has come back and that just doesn't happen in the NFL. So you win the Super Bowl, you have Tom Brady, what do you, what do you get the guy who's everything? What do you get the girl who's everything? You know, you, you go out and you find somebody that you like number one on your big board, add depth at a position where it's nice to have cycling. And look, Jason Pierre Paul's not going to be there forever. Been playing in the league a long time. Joe Tryon can easily come in and, and be a future solid defensive end on a team that again is already really deep. And if JPP is only going to play, you know, 65% of the snaps this year, then, that's an opportunity to get a young guy some reps there in the first round. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, preview the guys who are left, my my best available players, and we're going to wrap up this Friday pod uh, as we get ready for rounds two and three of the NFL draft. All right. Going to wrap up the pod here, taking a preview of rounds two and three. If you're listening at this point and it's, you know, Monday or Saturday, Sunday, some of this might seem dated or, or maybe not. We'll see as a, uh, as, time goes on but a little just check in here as we wrap up this friday pod uh number one left on my big board shocked that he made it out of the first round jeremiah wusu kormoa i spoke highly of him all year this entire draft prospect again he's a little undersized and i think that's probably what ended up killing him because there's nothing in the tape that tells you you shouldn't love this kid uh you know kuiper and mcshay both had him as a top 15 overall prospect and here he is number one I could see him going in a lot of different places. I, I would love to see him fall to the Eagles. Uh, you could see him in a place like Cincinnati, who has a high second-round draft pick. Uh, we will see. Was shocked to see him fall out of the first round. And whoever gets him, I think they're going to end up getting an absolute steal, And especially at a position where there's just not a whole lot of depth. But in this draft, there are some guys. Obviously, Jamin Davis and, and Mekhi Becton are both great players. 
but between uh, Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa and Nick Bolton, who's a linebacker out of Missouri, both are a little undersized, but both are really, really great players. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Just keep an eye out for him. I would expect him to go early off the board on Friday night. Uh, Trayvon Morig, again, shocked. He, he didn't get drafted in the first round. He's the only safety. Uh, you know, Gary Patterson, who's the head coach at TCU, been there a long time. He said he was the best cover safety he's ever seen. He's ever coached. All right, this guy's been around for a long time. So to have that kind of praise is really, really surprising. And I, I would, again, another guy I would expect to see get taken uh, very early, especially because we just there's been no safeties off the board yet. And there's going to be a team who looks at that as a position of need who says, all right, let's, let's go get this guy. I don't know how, why he's still here, but there's going to be teams at the top of the second round who are chomping at the bits to be able to go up and get somebody that they really really like uh Trayvon uh that was Trayvon Moore Elijah Moore is still there uh he is the last of those first round caliber wide receivers that again I'm, I'm a little surprised he got taken not totally shocked uh Tutu Atwell and Terrace Marshall Jr. are also both excellent options and you can also even throw in Rondell Moore all guys I would expect to go in rounds two Anyone who who decided to go a different position because they like the depth of the wide receivers in the second round, they're going to go hard on wide receivers here in rounds two and three. So expect to see a lot of wide receivers go rounds two and three. And if you are listening to this on Monday, I really hope I'm right because I feel really strongly. I'm like, because if you're going after other positions and you're just going off your big board, you start to transition a little bit from best player available to, all right, can we get a guy in here who, who can fill a need, can fill a spot that we really need some, uh, you know, some depth in, or, or maybe we're just weak in right now. And this is a loaded wide receiver class. So there's going to be a lot of guys there that, that are still available. Um, I was not totally shocked. I mean, Rashawn Bateman to me was someone who I, oh, I definitely thought would have gone, but um, he hasn't as of yet. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge, wide receiver out of Western Michigan, you can see go as well. Uh, Anthony Schwartz, Tylen Wallace, Nico Collins. There's a bunch of really good wide receivers I would expect to see off the board here uh, on, on Friday night. Other players that are hanging around who, who I think have a good chance to go, especially in the offensive line. Let's look at Tevin Jenkins. I thought Tevin Jenkins was going to be a home run. I thought for sure he was going to be late round, first round draft pick. He is not but that's okay. He'll go early in the second round. I think we'll see a team like Miami uh, might, might target a guy like that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it ends up going. I'm excited. I, I really like Tevin Jenkins. You know, he's got awesome hands. He's really just kind of nasty player. I thought he was the best player um, on that Oklahoma state team last year, but uh, he, he'll still be available. Liam Eichenberg tackle out of Notre Dame is available. Dylan Radnitz, who is the offensive tackle from North Dakota State. Two North Dakota State guys taken in the first two rounds. Be interesting to see, but again, it's just a testament to the program that the Bison have built uh, out there in Fargo. Other offensive linemen that we might see go off the board, Jalen Mayfield, uh, offensive tackle out of the University of Michigan, I could see. And then Two guys, interior offensive linemen, Creed Humphrey, center out of Oklahoma. I think he's the best center in this class. Um, you know, nothing against our man from Alabama who should, again, I'm, I'm pretty surprised. I, I shouldn't say I'm surprised. I thought there was a really good chance that someone would take a take a, a shot on him, but I think just the injury history concerns guys, and, and I totally get that. I totally get why. 
that would be con- uh, a concern. Walker Little, he's the 6'7", 6'8", giant out of Stanford. He'll probably go I- – I could see him falling a little bit too. He's had a bunch of injury uh, history and uh, hasn't got a chance to really stay on the field much over the last couple of years. Another guy who was hurt by the COVID season last year. And just some of my other top favorite players that I think – Javante Williams, he could be the best running back in this class. Because running back, it's really going to be dependent about where you go. So someone's going to draft Javante Williams in the second round, and they're going to be stoked to get him. We've seen so many great running backs drafted in rounds number two. You know, if perfect example, if the New York Giants had instead of drafting Saquon Barkley, who is admittedly an incredible talent, you know, if they hadn't drafted him number two overall and instead drafted uh, Quentin Nelson, right? Protect your offense, protect your quarterback. I think it was Eli Manning's last year. They knew they were going to have to move on from Eli. Go get a stud, absolute Hall of Fame guy like uh, Quentin Nelson. And then they could have gotten Nick Chubb in the second round. Both were were available at both picks. So they could have flip-flopped the two. And instead, they chose not to. And drafting a running back in the second round can often be a really, really smart move. That's why people don't like to go get offense. Because i tell you what, Nick Chubb running behind uh, – Nick Chubb running behind Quentin Nelson would be a whole lot of fun. And Giants fans, I would be, I'd be frustrated by that. Even though Saquon is incredible and we've seen some amazing things out of him. Javante Williams in the second round, I think would be an awesome, awesome pick. Uh, Ronnie Perkins and Aziz Ojolari. Those are my top two DNs outside linebacker edge guys, both of which I think can be really, really, really high end players. At the next level, I think Ronnie Perkins translates to just being like a, a, a at least like a seven year pro. Um, this this second round is loaded, by the way. Like it, it's crazy how much talent is left here. You could make an argument for half the guys who are projected to go in, you know, the second and third round to have also been first round draft picks. And it's just again, it's a testament to it. Uh, Christian Barmore credit and shout out to all the NFL GMs for not overdrafting Christian Barmore just because he was the best defensive tackle in the draft. It's a very weak defensive class, uh, tackle class. Christian Barmore should be a pretty solid pro, um, but someone will take him at number two. Uh, Landon Dickerson was the center. I was blanking on his name. Landon Dickerson, Creed Humphreys, both the top two centers that, that I like there. And uh, I'll throw out just two, two last names here, two guys I really, really like, and we'll wrap up the pod. Hunter Long, tight end out of Boston College. He should go at some point tonight. I would be surprised if he didn't. So I'll check back on, on Monday and we'll see what what uh, how wrong I was. But he's a really, really fun, uh, just solid tight end player. It's tough to kind of find a comp, maybe a little bit of Dallas Goddard. He's just not quite the athlete that Dallas Goddard is. He's not as fast with the ball in his hands, but really reliable pass catcher and can also block a good amount as well. And Chaz Surratt who's an inside linebacker out of North Carolina, played quarterback at North Carolina before switching sides of the ball and becoming the quarterback of the defense. You want to talk about a cerebral player who's also an exceptional athlete. And he's, he, he there's so, it's so funny. I remember playing football growing up and a lot of times your quarterbacks, like, you know, your coaches wouldn't want the quarterbacks in tackling drills. They wouldn't want them playing defense because they didn't want to get them hurt. But sometimes you would have a quarterback who just loved to get like, physical and loved to go go up and make plays and Chaz Surratt is like the grown-up version of that the guy who just wants to mangle guys up wants to play the defensive side of the ball I remember coaching a kid who ended up going on and playing d1 low d1 football 
And he was our quarterback. He was our best athlete. He could throw the ball 60 yards. He left-handed, but AC white was his name. And AC, we let him do it a couple times, but he would just want to jump in and just play D end for a play in practice. And we'd be like, no AC or, or hop in, in an Oklahoma drill or hop in and in a tackling drill, just because he loved the He loved the physical contact. He ended up playing tight end in college and is having a nice little career. But uh, those are the guys to kind of keep an eye out for, Maybe throw a little love to Jabril Cox for my LSU guys as well. And, uh, you know, that's that's basically it. It's going to be a really fun second night of the draft. If we're looking at quarterbacks, Kellen Mond, Davis Mills, either one and or both would not be shocked to see taken off the board. And uh, I don't know, just keep keep it locked in. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, also, one other player I've I've been – Neglecting this whole process, who I absolutely love, is Joseph Osai, outside linebacker, edge player from Texas. He's going to be like a third more, third or fourth round draft pick. I think he could be a freaking stud. I am so excited to see where he lines up. If he gets to a team like Chicago or Denver, a team that can really, really use him in, in an elite level way, I think he's going to be awesome. The guy has just absolute heart and chases down guys from behind. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, that's it for the pod today. We will have a full draft recap pod, hopefully with both Scotty and Vito coming out Tuesday morning. We're going to try to record on Monday night, get our bearings after everything that we see this weekend. So keep it locked in. Check us out on Twitter at read option pod. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Gimple. You can also find us uh, on Twitch right now. We're going to set up a, a pod specific page, but for now, at Jeff Gimple on Twitch to follow us. And we're going to do some more live streams, especially as time moves on and we, you know, we get closer. We're going to start getting creative, man. We're starting to hit the dog days of summer. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate you all for, for listening and watching. If you've made it this long, shoot me a, a DM, like a message on Twitter, hit me up uh, and would love, would love to get any sort of feedback that I can. So thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the draft and we will be back on Tuesday morning with another edition of the Read Option. Take it easy, everybody.